As we continue our study of Genesis, our lesson this morning is contained in Genesis chapter 4. Let us hear the word of God. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will not be accepted. Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad was the father of Mehuhael, 
and Mechuel was the father of Methusael, and Methusael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Nama. Lamach said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Amen. And may God bless to us this reading of his most holy word. Now, if you do have your Bible with you this morning, please do turn back to Genesis chapter 4 uh, as we look at this passage this morning. And just as you're doing that, um, just to say, walk and talk, Carol's quite right, on this afternoon at 3 o'clock, uh, but I forgot to tell her it's not the church. We will be down at the bottom of Fullerton Drive. Um, so if you come to the church, you won't find anyone here. Um, but Carol was quite right in saying, please bring your waterproofs. Uh, we'll be going for a wee walk along the beach. Also, just to say, there is tea and coffee after our service this morning. Uh, you're more than welcome to come uh, and to stay for that time of fellowship um, together. Shall we just pray before we look at God's Word? Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering around your Word, your Word which is a living Word, your Word which can speak into our hearts and to our minds. And we pray today, Lord God, that the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. We've gone, that's okay. I've only got one slide anyway. So, now last week um, in uh, our service, we looked at a key passage in the Bible. Uh, we looked at Genesis chapter 3, the story of the fall. And we thought a little bit last week about how Genesis 3 answers the question as to why the world is the way that it is today. Because in our world today, what do we see? Even in our last week on our news screens, what do we see? We see conflict in our world. We see acts of terrorism in Norway. We see wars in Ukraine. We see famine and strife in Mozambique. 
We see natural disaster in Afghanistan with over a thousand dying there. And we wonder, well, how, how can this be? How can our world be this way? Because we saw, didn't we, in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis 2, that, that God created everything. And God said that everything was good, that it was perfect, that it was very good. And therefore the question arises as to how things have gone so badly wrong. So much so that we have the problems that we have in our world today. Now, as we saw last week, Genesis 3 answers that question. It shows the choice that Adam and Eve had to either to obey God or to disobey God. And we thought a little bit last week about how Adam and Eve had free choice. They had free will. They weren't robots. And the passage tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that sadly, Adam and Eve fell. They disobeyed God and they fell into sin. And this had serious consequences, serious consequences for them, but also serious consequences for us as humankind. You see, remember the snake who tempted Eve? Remember that he said to Eve, well, if you eat the, the fruit of the, the knowledge of uh, good and evil, uh, that surely you won't die. Even though God has said you're going to die, surely you won't die. And so the snake tempted them in that way. But the fact is that once they eat the fruit, once they disobey God, they are thrown out of the Garden of Eden. And they bore the consequences of their disobedience. Now, as we know, physical death would come. I think it comes in chapter 5. We're told Adam lives 930 years, and then physically he dies. But now, life for Adam and Eve continues, but it continues outside the Garden of Eden. And it's a hollow kind of life compared to what it would have been like inside of the Garden. It's a less full life. And so I want you to see this morning that there is a loss of life because of Adam and Eve's disobedience. They are living outside the garden. So we saw in Genesis chapter 3 that sin comes into the world, and, and that's the explanation as to why there is brokenness and pain that we see in the world today. And not just in Ukraine and Afghanistan, but we also see it and we experience it in our own lives, don't we? Illness, bereavement, marriage breakup, things just go wrong. And we wonder how this can be. There's brokenness and pain. And it's the explanation as to why we as humanity need a saviour. And we thought briefly last week as to how a saviour is, is hinted at in Genesis chapter 3. Because even though Genesis chapter 3 is such a gloomy passage, isn't it? Such a difficult passage. But there is a hint. There's a hint of hope. There's a hint of someone coming who's going to crush the serpent's head. There is a hint, even in Genesis 3, of Jesus. 
Now today as we move on to Genesis chapter 4, there are are two things that I really want to to focus on today. The first thing is the gloomy thing. And I'm really sorry about that. It's a bit like when you woke up this morning and thought, oh, it's raining. It's meant to be summer. We're coming into July. Why is it not sunny outside? The first point's a bit gloomy, okay? Because the first point in this passage in Genesis chapter 4 is the spread of sin. Because we see Adam and Eve disobeying God in the garden, and we think, well, maybe that's just going to be a one-off. But sadly, it isn't. There is the spread of sin. But the second thing is a wee bit more upbeat. And I hope you notice it. Often in the Bible, what you see, even in the most difficult of passages, there's always a sprinkling of hope in the background. Always a sprinkling of light in the midst of the darkness. And the second thing is that mankind still retains the reality of being made in the image of God. That's the second point, and we'll get to that uh, just later on. So firstly, the gloomy part. Okay, we've got to go through the gloomy part to get to the good part. Is that okay? Okay, you don't seem very happy about that. We're going to do it anyway. Okay, we're going to go through the gloomy part. So, Outside of the Garden of Eden, we see that Adam and Eve do as they are commanded in Genesis 1, and they go forth and multiply, and they have their two sons, Cain and Abel. And we see Abel keeps flocks, he's a shepherd, basically, and Cain works the land, he's a farmer. And after a time, we don't know why exactly they do this, but they bring their offerings to the Lord. Now, It isn't immediately obvious as to why the Lord accepts Abel's offering, but not Cain's offering. Closer inspection seems to to suggest that it it might be to do with the fact that Abel brings fat portions from the firstborn of his flock, while Cain just seems to bring some fruits of the soil. You see the difference there? Abel's bringing the, the, the best portions from the firstborn in the flock, whereas Cain just seems to be bringing some of the fruits of the soil. And it seems to me here that whilst Abel brings the very best that he had, Cain just brought something, and it wasn't the best. And as just an aside here, I guess that there's a little message for us there, isn't there? Because God wants the very best from us. Now, you might think here, you know, is God some kind of egomaniac that, you know, he just wants the very, very best? Actually, God deserves the best, doesn't he? Because he is our creator. He is our redeemer. He is our sustainer. He deserves the very best from us, and not just to be an afterthought. I wonder if you've ever been to, uh, in the situation where you've been invited to a party, and before you go out, you, you maybe got your glad rags on, whatever they might look like. And you're just about to go out the door and you realize, oh no, I've got nothing in my hand to take. And that's a bit rude, isn't it? And you think, well, I need to take, you know, something. I need to take some flowers or I need to take, you know, a bottle of wine or some chocolates or whatever it might be. And you think, oh no, I've just completely forgotten. And so what do you do? You think, I can't just go with nothing. And so you go into your kitchen, and you root around, don't you? And you're like, well, what's, what's here? What have we got? Ah, 
some chocolates left over from Christmas. That will do. That will do. And you take it to your party. There's no thought that goes into that gift, is there? It's just an afterthought. And that seems to be what it's like for Cain, that that God is, is just an afterthought. He's not going to give the best to God. He's just going to give, you know, just whatever he's got in his kitchen cupboard, so to speak. And that's a piercing question for us, isn't it? How often is God an afterthought for us? Sometimes we can go through our our day and we don't think about God at all. And then we reach our bed at night and we think, thank you, Lord. But we're we're just giving Him the dregs of our day, aren't we? Do we really give God our best? Or do we just give Him the dregs? That's the question. Do we give Him the best of our time, our talents, our money, to put it in those terms? Do we give him the best of all that we are? Or is God just an afterthought? Cain didn't give of his best, did he? And the Lord didn't accept his offering. And because the Lord doesn't accept this offering, Cain becomes angry and his face is downcast. We can just imagine that, can't we? And the Lord says to Cain, basically, Cain, if you do what's right, you will be accepted. It's not that Cain has been cast out forever. It's just, come on, Cain, you can do better. Do better next time. But he also warns Cain, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. And it desires to have you, Cain. You've got to be careful. Now, why is this? Well, when Cain's offering is not accepted... But Abel's is. How does Cain feel inside? There's jealousy, isn't there? That's what some of this passage is about. It's plain jealousy. Look at my brother. His stuff's been accepted and mine hasn't. That's what he's thinking. And we can we know that in our own lives, don't we? That sometimes, you know, something happens in our life, and if we're not very careful, it begins to eat away and eat away and eat away until there's bitterness inside, and we don't know what we might say or what we might do. And that's why the Lord warns Cain here, watch Cain. Watch that that bitterness inside doesn't well up. Sin is crouching at your door. Jealousy. That can affect us at any age, can't it? Yes, we see it in the playground, but even in older age, jealousy. We see someone doing better than us, receiving something that we think we deserve, become jealous and angry. And if we're not careful, it can spill over into bitterness and into sin. And rather than making sure that he does better next time and to make sure that his offering is acceptable to God, what does Cain do? Well, he lets the bitterness, the jealousy eat away at him. And he plots in his heart to take out the one whose offering was acceptable to God. And he kills Abel. And so what I want you to see is how invasive, how contagious sin is. 
We've just been going through a pandemic, haven't we? We're still going through that pandemic. Sadly, there's a number in the church that have COVID uh, at this present time. But during the pandemic, what did we have to do? We had to keep our social distancing, didn't we? We had to use our hand sanitizer. We had to wear our face masks. Why? Because the coronavirus was infectious. It was easy to catch. That's what sin's like. It spreads. It's contagious. You see, we saw Adam and Eve disobey God by taking the fruit. And now what do we see? The next generation. They're killing each other. That's quite something. That's quite a leap, isn't it? One is disobeying God, eating a bit of fruit. The other, next generation, killing each other. And so we see the decline, don't we? This, this downward spiral, invasiveness of sin. And Cain is punished by God. And I hope you notice, ends up further away from paradise. You see, Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, but Cain is now cast even further away to the east of Eden. And so what we have here is a picture of mankind getting further and further away from God. Now Cain clearly fears for his life because of what he's done. But in the grace of God, God puts a mark on Cain so that no one who finds him will kill him. And so Cain is sent from the Lord's presence. Now at this point, we we move on to Cain's line, don't we? And we have the next generations because Cain has a son, Enoch, and then he has a son, who then has a son, who has a son, who then has another son. And I hope you followed that because I couldn't pronounce most of the names. Donald Mackay did very well this morning. But we do come to someone called Lamech. And what do we find with Lamech? Well, Lamech has two wives. So note the change from monogamy, Adam and Eve, to suddenly we've got two wives going on. And then we see Lamech killing a man. And Lamech says he'll be avenged 77 times if someone messes with him, not just seven times. And so what I want you to see is the deterioration. Things are going down, down, down. And we might wonder to ourselves, is it ever going to end? Is this just a, a downward, downward spiral with no end? And even today in our world, we might wonder, are things ever going to end when things seem so grim as they are? Is there no end to the injustice, no end to the horrors of the world, no end to man's inhumanity to man? Is there no end to all of this? And even as we search our own hearts, we might think, oh, look at the world. It's a terrible place, but I'm quite a good person. Well, are you? When you really search inside, have you really not thought ill of your neighbor? Have you not thought ill of even your family members, your friends? Have there not been times we've been consumed by jealousy? Times when we all lashed out? We're all in the same boat, aren't we? Is there no end to all of this sin? Well, that's the gloomy bit, isn't it? But I hope at the end of the chapter you noticed there was some hope. Did you notice it? If you didn't notice it, I'm going to point it out to you. Okay? There's some great, some hope here at the end of the chapter. Because we've been following Cain's line, haven't we? This descent down into sin. 
But suddenly, at the end of chapter 4, did you notice it? We're back at Adam and Eve. We're back at Adam and Eve's line. You notice that? And they have another son who's called Seth, which means in Hebrew, granted. He granted God granted them another son. Now, let's not think that things are strictly chronological here, and there, there's a huge gap between Cain being born and, and Seth being born. But we return back to Adam and Eve. And what happens here is, is that the writer has follow, followed Cain's line, and now he's returning to Adam's line. And we see that Seth is born, another child in place of Abel, according to Adam. Now, why is Seth significant? Where is the hope here? Well, if you know your Bible and you go to Luke's gospel, what do you find? You find in Luke's gospel genealogy. We find the genealogy of Jesus. And what do we notice? That Jesus is from the line, is he from the line of Cain? No, he's not. He's from the line of Seth. That's where he's from. He's in the line where there is hope. And so what I want you to see this morning is, despite the sin of Cain's line, the hope is coming through the line of Seth. And it's significant, isn't it, that at the very end of the chapter, in the midst of all this misery, what does it say right at the end of the chapter? At that time, people began to call in the name of the Lord. That's really strange, isn't it? Considering all that's gone on before, where they don't really seem to care about God at all, they're giving them the dregs of the offerings, they're falling into sin, they're killing each other, they're not being faithful to their wives. And then at the end of the chapter, they're calling in the name of the Lord. And what I want you to notice is, despite all that's happening, with sin coming into the world, that mankind is still made in the image of God. You see, as I look at you this morning, and as you look at me, and I know that's a grim prospect, okay? But as we look at one another, there's two things I can say about you. The first thing is the gloomy thing. You're a sinner. You can look at me and say, you're a sinner too. Okay, we get it. We're in the same boat. But the other thing I can say to you is you are made in the image of God. And you can say that to me. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Made in the image of God. You see, despite all that's happening with sin coming into the world, mankind is still made in the image of God. And the Bible says that there is, there is eternity in the human heart. That there is a desire for God, isn't there? There's a desire for, for something greater. When you look at the misery in the world, you think, surely there's going to be a day when all this is going to be fixed. Surely there's going to be a day of reckoning. Do you not hope for that in your heart? Do you not hope that there will be justice in the world eventually? There's a desire for God, isn't there? Seeking after something or, or someone greater than ourselves. And here, right at the end of chapter 4, what do we see? We see the people calling on the name of the Lord. And so what we want you to see today is the seriousness of sin. And here in chapter 4, we see how, 
how sin spreads and, and how there is decay. We see Cain not giving of his best to God, being consumed by jealousy, killing his brother, being punished by God. We see further decay, further down the line in the life of Lamech. We might wonder, where is this going to end? It just seems hopeless. But even in the midst of the mess, even in the midst of the brokenness, even in the midst of the darkness, I want you to notice that there is hope. There is always hope hope. There's always light at the end of the tunnel when you believe and trust in God. That's the wonderful thing, isn't it? Sometimes we have difficult weeks, miserable weeks. We think, when is this ever going to end? When am I ever going to feel better? But there is hope. There's always hope. For from Seth's line will come a Savior. And when we call on the name of the Lord, when we call on the name of Jesus, he will surely answer. So today, when we reflect on the brokenness in our own world, may we also acknowledge the the darkness in our own lives, the darkness in our own hearts. And may we acknowledge that in so many ways we're no better than Cain. We bring the dregs to God. We're jealous of our brother. We commit murder, maybe not physically, but in our hearts. But let's also realize that we're also made in the image of God. And there is a longing to be in the presence of God. Do you have that longing within your heart? You're longing that our world would be made right? Do you not long for that? Do you not long to to be with God forever? To know true life? Because you know life here on earth is broken. It's not quite the way it should be. Do you not long for that? We can't do it in our own strength. But from Seth's line, we have Jesus. Jesus who is a wonderful Savior. The Savior that we need. Who brings light into our darkness. And so today, whatever we find our situation being, whether we're worried and concerned about all that's happening in our world, worried and concerned what's happening in our lives, let's leave this place knowing the hope is found in the Lord Jesus because we need Him as our Savior. And when we believe and trust in Jesus, we're going to be looking at this this afternoon in our walk because Jesus said, I am the life. I am the life. Even when things are miserable, we know that when we have Jesus, we have life, we have hope, we have encouragement. May you know that in your heart today, that we have a Savior from Seth's line who brings light into the darkness. Amen.